Hey, today we're beginning a brand new series. I want to challenge you to not just come to church, but to be the church. For 2,000 years, people have been saying that the church is either going to be destroyed, that it is dead, or that it is dying. But don't believe the lie. Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing can stand against it. But how many of you know that when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, he wasn't talking about the brick and mortar places that we go to on Sunday morning. What Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm going to build my church, he was talking about a people. What Jesus is building is you. And so for 2,000 years, he's been building a people that will follow him and know him. And for the next four weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus is building right here at Coastal. We are on a mission to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that as we connect in corporate worship, as we grow together in small groups, and as we serve together in ministry and in mission. And right as we begin this series, right out the gate, I want to challenge you with two things, okay? The first thing is I want to challenge you each week for the next four weeks that you would pray this simple prayer, that you would simply pray God, help me not just to go to church, but to be the church. So when you're coming here on Sunday morning, pray the simple prayer. When church is over on Sunday morning, you're on your way home, pray the simple prayer. Hey, on Saturday night, when you're wondering, should I go to church the next morning? Pray, God, help me not just to go to church, but to be the church. And I also want to challenge you to memorize this passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. We're going to be in the book of Colossians this entire month, but memorize verses 6 through 7, where Paul writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is our anchor verse for this entire series. And church, you can already see, look, there is movement in this verse. Again, God talks about what he's building. He's building a faith in you that abounds in thanksgiving, that literally overflows into experiencing life to the full. So don't just go to church, but be the church. Today, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 that Darla just finished reading But before we unpack that passage, I wanted to ask you a question. Does connecting with the church still matter today? Again, at Coastal, we want to develop authentic followers of Jesus. One of the ways that we do that is connecting in corporate worship. And that simply means that we make it a priority to connect with this church service on Sunday morning, this gathering of the believers together to make that a priority as we worship Jesus as we listen to God's word, as we pray with one another to make that a priority so we can take what we experience here out into our world. So coming and connecting corporately in worship is a priority. So does connecting to the church still matter today? And you may say, Andrew, you know, you just told us that the church is alive. Jesus is building his church you may say, Angie, you, you just told us that it's, it, is, it is important. And plus, you know, the fact that I'm here today says that I do believe that coming to church actually matters. 
But do you really believe that? Do you believe that being part of the church is important? It is, a, is it a priority in your life? Today, as we begin this journey through Colossians, I want to ask you two questions, okay? And maybe you didn't expect a pop quiz today, and I know school is getting ready to start back for many of you. And I know many of you have been out of school for longer than I've been alive. It's not a joke. It's just the truth, okay? But don't worry, okay? I'm going I'm to ask you these two questions, but I'm also going to give you the answers. So yes, it is a pop quiz, but I'm going to give you the answers as well. Turn in your Bible, whether you have a digital or analog Bible, to Colossians chapter 1. And again, I want to challenge you that you would bring your Bible with you to church, okay? And I really don't mind whether that's a paper Bible or whether it's on your phone, but I really want you to open your Bibles and see God's Word as we're reading it together, highlight some things and circle some things so you can see God's Word for yourself. And Colossians was actually written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a first century Jewish teacher who at one point was a Pharisee, a teacher of the Jewish law called a Pharisee. And Paul hated the church. In fact, when it comes to someone who actually wanted to see the church either dead or destroyed, Paul was one of the people who was the chiefs of that in the first century. He would actually have Christians thrown into jail or even have Christians killed. But then Paul met Jesus everything changed. This guy who would cause so much fear in the body of Christ, what God would actually use to actually build faith in the body of Christ that would echo through generation after generation. And it's also worth noting that this letter that Paul writes to this church in Colossae, this letter, he actually wrote it while he was in prison for preaching Christ. So Paul writes this letter and he didn't actually start this church but he's writing to this church to help build it. He wanted to challenge them that despite what false teachers were saying about who Jesus is and how to live, that they can really live this life to the full through Christ. And this movement called the church, even though people are trying to attack it and destroy it, it matters. Listen again to how Paul begins in Colossians chapter one, starting in verse one. He says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why does connecting to the church matter more now than ever? Here is the first question slash statement I want to say to you. Where else can you go to be reminded that life is not all about you? Paul starts off and he pretty much says, hey guys, it's me, Paul. But then he immediately says, look, I serve Jesus by the will of God. In fact, right here in just the opening part of the letter alone, the first three verses, six times, Paul mentions Jesus. He mentions God. And in fact, in chapter one alone, 25 times alone, Paul makes some type of reference to God the Father, the Holy Spirit, or to Jesus, to the Trinity, to the Godhead. 25 times in chapter one alone, he puts the attention on God. 
He could have started talking to this church, talking about how bad his prison stay was. He could have started off this letter saying about how he's been mistreated and even misrepresented. He could have even started out by complaining that he doesn't deserve something like this. He's, he's preaching the gospel. Why is he in prison? But instead, he puts the attention on where it belongs. He puts the attention on Christ. In fact, church, can you, can you help me help everyone here today understand this very first point? I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you. I want you to say to them, hey, I think you're great, okay? I think you're great, but life is not about you. Life is not about you. See, one of the reasons why connecting to corporate worship is so important because it's one of the main reasons that Paul tells this church to answer the first question that I just gave you. I want you to write this down. Connecting in corporate worship reminds us that Christ is preeminent. Connecting in corporate worship reminds us that Christ is preeminent. Listen to how he continues here in verse 15. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Man, this is such a rich view of who Jesus is. Paul says he's the image of the invisible God. Image right here, that word image right here in the original language, it means exact replica. Paul points this Colossian church to the fact that Jesus was a man, yes, but he was and is and always will be fully God. He's the image of God, the same substance as God. He says that he's a firstborn of creation. Now, this actually doesn't have to do anything with time itself, okay? He wasn't saying that Jesus was the very first person born. In fact, we know from the incarnation that, Jesus, that when Jesus actually came to earth as a baby, like that was the incarnation when Jesus came to earth in the man form, baby form, human form. In fact, this is a quick reminder that Christmas is about four months away, okay? But Paul is not taking away from the fact that Jesus is God and has eternally existed. In fact, what Paul is actually doing right here, he's reminding this first century church of something that was very well known in the first century, that when you were the firstborn, you had rights that came with that. When you were the firstborn, you were actually given the, given the authority to rule and given the authority to have dominion over whatever property or whatever possessions belonged to your family. So what he's saying here is that Jesus, who has eternally existed because he's a firstborn of creation from the Father, that he has the authority to rule over what it is that he has created. And when he says he's a firstborn from the dead, it's the same concept here that Jesus rules over death as Lord. The one who conquered death surpasses anything, anything that death could offer, any hold that death would have on us when he showed off his power through the resurrection. 
He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over creation, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. So what in the world does preeminent mean? It means this. It means surpassing all else. It means surpassing everyone else. Jesus is God in fullness, creator of the world. He created you. So that means because he is preeminent, because he should surpass everyone else, everything else, he should be before everything else. That means that he should be first in our church, but also first in our lives. Let me ask you another question within the question. Is Jesus first? Is he first in your life? Is he first in everything or just some things? Come on, when you're planning your future, are you thinking about what Jesus would want first? When you're thinking about dating someone, are you even thinking about what Jesus would want for you to have in a relationship? Are you thinking about what Jesus even says that you should be looking for in a relationship? Is he first? Come on, when you're streaming YouTube at home by yourself, is he first? Is he surpassing everything? Is he before everything in your life? Preeminent means that he surpasses all. And I'm telling you, church, we need this reminder that the best lived life is one that is submitted to Christ and not one that is all about self. Paul kind of says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, where he says this, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Now, I, I know that using the word control is not something that's politically correct, and none of us want to be controlled because we want to be the boss but the best lived life is one that where we see Jesus who is preeminent to let him be the one who controls us and leads us. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Again, the firstborn over death, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for who? What is this? What's that word right there? Come on, say it a little bit louder like you beat it. What does it say? For themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul David Tripp, author and theologian says, look, the DNA of sin is selfishness. Sin puts us in the center of our world and makes life all about us. See, sin puts the attention and affection on us and leads us to self-glory and self-focus. Church, this week, you're gonna be reminded all up and down, left and right, through ads and through Instagram, even your own desires that what you want actually matters most. But where else are you gonna go this week to be reminded that life is not about you, but it's about the one who surpasses everyone? And the crazy thing is in God's kingdom, as he builds his church on the surpassing view of Christ, it doesn't diminish who you are. It doesn't even diminish life. In fact, instead, it fulfills life. It brings fullness to life. 
And Paul also reminds this church when we're thinking about where else can you go to be reminded that life is not about you. Yes, we need to have this surpassing view of Christ. But see, connecting in corporate worship also reminds us that we need to make a priority in praying for others. We need to be reminded that we need to be praying for others. And again, Paul could have started all this letter complaining about being in prison or giving them some demands that he needed while he was in prison. But instead, he points to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus, the surpassing power and presence of Christ. But he also keeps pointing to others as well, specifically praying for them. He uses words like always, and we never cease to pray for you. Again, look what he says in verses 9 through 12. And he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look, praying for others does remind us that life is not about us. In fact, church, we need to pray more and we need to pray for others more. Now, I know typically when we pray, what we typically pray for, look, if somebody's sick, we pray for them to get better. We typically pray for the safety of others. In fact, I know there's probably a lot of parents who are praying for the safety of their kids as they get ready to go off to college, as they're gonna be away from home, either for the first time or away from home again. I know many parents are praying for safety. And yes, we should pray for people to get better when they're sick. Yes, we should pray for the safety of others. Yes, we should pray for those things. But look how Paul prays for this church. Can you put Colossians chapter um, 9 verses 12 back up on the screen again? Look at just some of the things that he's praying for them. He says, look, I'm going to ask that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Next verse. And he says, he's praying that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that they may be bearing fruit, having good works, increasing in the knowledge of God. What else? And he says, look, he prays that they will be strengthened with all power, that they may have endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, remembering their inheritance that they have as saints of Christ. What if we began to pray that way for each other? What if even here on Sunday morning, you know that person I'm always making you turn to and say stuff to? What if even after you did that, you began to pray that they would increase in the knowledge and wisdom of God? What if you made it a case where you never ceased? You always prayed that they would have patience and endurance. You may not even know all what they're going through, but what if you prayed for someone in this church throughout the week that they would have the patience and endurance that God would get them through whatever it is that they're going through? What if you prayed for other people in this church that they would be strengthened with the power of God? What if you prayed that other people in this church would be reminded that they have an inheritance, 
that even when this life on earth here is over, they get to be with Jesus. You kept praying that God would remind them of who they are, but also where they're going. If we began to pray like that, we might actually become authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We need to remember just how important it is to connect in corporate worship and remember that we need to be praying for others. But here's the second question I want to ask you. Question slash statement. Where else can you go to be reminded of just how good the good news can be? Listen to what Paul says in verses four through six. He says, look, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Again, Paul says, look, we've, we've heard of this faith that you have and this love that you have. And he's reminding them that the source of that is the gospel of Christ. And at this time, the good news of Jesus, it was spreading all around. The church was growing and it was growing as people kept sharing the gospel. As Paul reminds them of the impact that the gospel has had on them, look, he is telling them too that the gospel is going to bear fruit across the world, but there's also this deeper work that the gospel needs to do in them. Because how many of you know that the good news of what Jesus has done wasn't just for the moment of salvation, but the good news of how God has rescued us, it continues to do a work in us. Paul says to this church that the gospel is growing in them and in the world. And as Paul writes this church as they gather together, look, he wanted to remind them that connecting in corporate worship, it reminds us of the power of the gospel. It reminds us of the power of the gospel. In verse five, he says, look, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit. Now, look at that phrase right there, in the whole world. Now, you may say, you know what, Andrew, I'm not a Bible scholar, but aren't there still places even today that the gospel hasn't reached yet? Aren't there still people today who haven't yet heard about Jesus? And the answer to that question is yes. So was Paul exaggerating when he said, it's reached the whole world? The answer to that question is no. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 called the Great Commission, where he says, go and make disciples of every nation, literally to go into the whole world. Well, that word back in Matthew chapter 28, that word nations is translated the word ethnos, which means every ethnic group. And what Jesus was saying is, look, go reach every ethnic group, every different type of person in the world with the gospel. And what Paul is trying to say right here is that the gospel was already making its way across all sorts of barriers, across cultural barriers, racial barriers, ethnic barriers, geographic barriers, and more. In fact, author and theologian John MacArthur, he says it this way about this verse. He says that the gospel was never intended for an exclusive group of people. 
It is the good news for the whole world. It transcends all ethnic, geographic, cultural, and political boundaries. That's the power of the gospel. It literally breaks down walls. And people have used scripture before in the past to build up walls, build up barriers where God never intended. Church, don't let that be us. We don't want to build barriers where God never intended. We want to use the gospel to continue to break down barriers so more people can hear about the good news of who Jesus is. But there's another point that Paul makes to showcase the power of the gospel. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. He says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Last week while I was in Puerto Rico, these two verses kept echoing around in my mind over and over and over again. This thing that God has delivered us from something and he's transferred us to something. Paul says, look, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, which means that he has delivered us from the power of sin, that he's delivering us from the penalty of sin. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a reminder that God has transferred us to his kingdom and that he's delivered us from sin. But he also has transferred us to something that is filled with promises as this firstborn of creation rules and reigns in this kingdom. In fact, in another letter in the book of Philippians, Paul reminds us that this transfer that God has done promises us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This transfer brings the promise that my God will take care of every one of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This transfer, it brings a promise that whomever the son has set free in this kingdom is free Indeed, man, this transfer brings the incredible promises and faithfulness of God. And see, we need to connect to the church because where else are you going to go to be reminded that we still need the power of the gospel every single day? The power that tears down barriers brought up by sin and the power that brings both a deliverance, but also a transfer. Come on, students in the room, as you're getting ready to go off to college, you need to be reminded of the gospel because it still has the power to deliver you from sin and temptation. That real freedom is found in Christ, not throwing off Christ, but to walk in Christ. Dads in the room, we still need to be reminded of the power of the gospel because this transfer has brought the incredible grace of God. And that same grace that's been transferred to us, we need to transfer it to the children in our home. Come on, single person in the room, you need to be reminded of the power of the gospel to remind you that you've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son who now leads you, loves you, and has called you. I just want to remind you today, church, that you still need the power of the gospel. But listen to how Paul continues in verse 26. He says, look, this mystery, talking about the gospel, look, it was hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. 
to them God chose to make known how great the make known among the Gentiles how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Church, I'm going to give you the next two points together, okay? I'm going to give you the next two points together, and I want to share with you a little secret that's hopefully not so secret that I actually do every single week because I want to challenge you to take the secret that's not so secret and to pray about it and also to put it into practice. So here's the next point. Connecting in corporate worship reminds us of the peace the gospel brings. Connecting in corporate worship reminds us of the peace that the gospel brings. Look, what God has done for you isn't just for you. Paul says, look, this is Christ in you. It's a hope of glory. And Paul includes the Gentiles here, which pretty much the Gentiles, if you ever read that in scripture, it was any other ethnic group of people outside of the Jewish group of people. So he just reminded them here, look, that the gospel really is for everyone. And he says, the hope of glory, this is the peace that now the Prince of Peace brings to those who are in Christ. It's a reminder, look, if you've trusted Christ, you had that peace and that peace brings hope and that hope does not disappoint. This hope of glory is a reminder that when this life on earth here is over, we will get to be with Jesus if Jesus is Lord of your life. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, that my sheep, no one can take them away from me. This is the hope of glory. Recently, we recently lost one of our just beloved dear saints, Betty Jo Rollin, out of our senior adult class right here at Coastal. And having been here for a year, actually a little bit less than a year, I, I wish I would have known her a little bit more. But even going to her funeral, one thing I do know is that Betty Jo trusted Christ and she knew Christ. And even though her death came suddenly as a result of a stroke, because she had trusted the Lord, because Jesus was the Lord of her life, she had this hope of glory. And right now she gets to rest in the peace and this hope being with Jesus because she had made Jesus the Lord of, of her life. And for the believer, look, there is a peace that the gospel brings because we have a hope that does not disappoint even after death. And connecting in corporate worship also reminds us that we need to proclaim the gospel. Look, Paul said this gospel, yes, it's filling up the whole world. It's spreading around, breaking all sorts of barriers down. But he's saying, look, it is him we proclaim. It is Jesus that we proclaim. Church, we need to proclaim the gospel, yes, to each other, but also to a lost world. And I want to challenge you that you will proclaim the gospel to those people that God has literally put in the same circles as you. So whether that's across the street in your neighborhood, whether that's in the classrooms you're going to be sitting in coming up this fall. Hey, even for you guys who are working right now, someone who's sitting in a cubicle next to you, who's sitting at the workstation in the hospital next to you, who's sitting at the shipyard with you, wherever it is, those people that God has placed in your circles, I would challenge you to proclaim the gospel to them. 
Hey, even if you're an avid gamer and you're always online gaming with the same people, even that could be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. According to LifeWay Research, and this was from 2014, these numbers may even be higher now, 61% of believers have not shared the gospel with anyone. And 48% of believers never invite someone else to church. I want to challenge you that you wouldn't see people as projects, but to see them as people who God loves and who need the gospel. I wanted to show you how I typically lead people through the gospel in a way as well that you can visually show them what God wants to do in their lives. I'm gonna show you something called the, uh, the Three Circles. It was developed by the North American Mission Board to help train missionaries and also to help train church planters. And now really does anyone with a follower of Jesus to accurately and even visually, since we live in such a visual world, share the gospel. Now, three quick things about this as well. Um, we actually taught this as a spiritual formation class back in January, and it was a four-week session. So I'm about to boil a four-week session down into about three minutes, okay? So if you miss any of this, three quick sources, you can actually Google three circles and NAM, N-A-M-B, and you can find some training videos on how to work through these three circles and sharing the gospel. You can get this book called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations as well. Um, and then you can also find the training videos online. If you miss any of that, you can just shoot me an email or see me at the church and I'll give you any of those things. And I want you to know, if you're sitting in this room today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or even if you are watching online as well, what I'm about to share with you is not some sort of rote or mechanical method of sharing the gospel, but we share this because we really do believe that that same power that brings a transfer, that takes people from being slaves of sin and even slaves of Satan and transfer them from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We believe that that same power is available for you right now. And not just now, but for eternity. So as Vanna White brings uh, my board over here. This is just a visual way to be able to share the gospel. And what, what typically happens, um, I, I want you to be thinking that if you, if you are, again, at work, at school, uh, if you are even in your home sharing this with your family if, if, or with a neighbor, one of the things that that helps identify whether or not it's a good time to share the gospel is when you hear somebody expressing some, some form of brokenness. Like you have a coworker, family member, friend that shared with you they're going through a tough time when they're experiencing the brokenness in the world. What they're really doing is having a spiritual conversation because the brokenness in the world is caused by sin. So think of that when you hear someone identifying some brokenness that they're experiencing, some pain that they're going through, think about that as a, almost like your spiritual spidey senses are going off, okay? And this is a good time that maybe you can take that spiritual conversation that they're having and transition it into a gospel conversation. A few years ago, I had a couple sat in my office and one person in, in, in the relationship had already trusted Christ and one person didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus because many years later, his father had passed away from cancer. 
and he was angry at God. And he didn't say this way, but he was trying to fill his life with money and possessions and career and relationships. But all that was doing was actually leading to more brokenness. But when I heard about the pain that he was going through and saw that he hadn't yet trusted Christ, I thought this is going to be a gospel conversation. So I'm going to kind of use it as an illustration as I also go through and teach you this. So again, you can write this down, but there are three circles that you will draw as you walk people through and hopefully clear them show, clearly show what the gospel is. The first thing you do, you begin with drawing a circle and talking about God's design. You start with the good news. God loves you. You were created on purpose for a purpose. That Jesus said, look, I have come that you may experience life to the full. And there's so many good things that God wanted for you and also wanted for this world. But the problem is, is that sin, sin has entered the world. We are all born with this problem of sin. In fact, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And see, if we don't do anything about that sin problem, that sin problem actually leads to a place of brokenness. This is where we experience the effects of sin. This is where we actually feel the pain of loss. This is where we feel like everything we're trying to do still isn't fulfilling our hearts. In fact, there's so many people who will try to fix that brokenness. They will try to fix it with a good career, try to earn as much money as they can and try to get nicer and nicer things. They'll try to fix it with relationships. And the more and more relationships that they have, they try to fill this void, fix this brokenness, or sometimes they even try to fix it with some type of substance, maybe alcohol or even drugs. But the more and more and more you try to fix this brokenness with all these other things, all it's doing is actually creating more brokenness. And we don't realize it, but this sin is pulling us further and further away from God's design. It's pulling us further from God's design and into a more and greater place of brokenness. So eventually we spend eternity apart from God. And if we don't do something about this problem, we're going to spend our lives here and then eternity here. But the good news is the gospel. The gospel is simply a Bible word that means that God provided a way for our sin problem to be fixed. It is the good news. It simply means that Jesus, who is God, came, he came down to this earth and he lived perfectly in God's design. In fact, he never sinned. He never did anything apart from what God wanted. He really did show us how to live this life to its fullest. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. But the good news is that he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave. Now for us to be able to fix our sin problem, the Bible simply says all we have to do is to repent of that sin and believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is this God that died on the cross that paid the price for our sin so that we could have life to the full right now here on earth, but also to have life for eternity. 
In fact, when we believe the gospel, scripture says that now we can actually pursue, pursue and recover what's been broken. And we can now begin to live in God's design. Does that mean life on earth will be perfect? No, because there's other people whose sin is working through them. We'll still experience, experience brokenness in this world, but will God get us through whatever it is we're going through? Will he fulfill his promise in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, I've come to give you life and give you life to the full. Will he fulfill his promise that one day when you leave this earth, that you will be with him in glory, that you have the hope of glory. Church, this is just a simple way, a visual way to walk people through what the gospel is. And let me just tell you, even as I'm doing it in front of you guys, like sometimes I even have some of my own fears as well. And I start thinking, did I I even say all the words right? Uh, Did I, did I, is this going to stop someone from being saved? Because I put a, a weird squiggly thing for the word pursue. All God calls us to do when he puts someone in our circle is to proclaim the gospel. You can't save anybody. I know even as a pastor now for over 15 years that I cannot save anyone because the hope of glory, it comes from Christ. The saving is done by God, but we are called because we've experienced the gospel to proclaim it. So why does going to church today still matter? Because where else are you going to go to be reminded that life is not all about you, but instead it is about the one who is preeminent, the one who surpasses everyone. Submitting to Christ doesn't diminish your life, but it gives you life to the full now and for eternity. Where else are you going to go to be reminded of the power of the gospel, that you still need this power today? That if you are saved, you need to be reminded you've been, you've been delivered from the domain of darkness. You've been transferred to the kingdom of his dearly loved son. And not only that, but we need to proclaim that same gospel to others as well. And if you have not yet trusted Christ one more time, I want to proclaim the gospel to you. God loves you. He has a design for your life. You were made on purpose for a purpose. He wants you to experience life to the full. But the sinfulness we are all born with, it breaks us. It breaks us and it breaks those around us. And it's leading to this eternal separation from God. It's leading to this brokenness that we're going to experience our whole lives. And that's why trying to fill our lives with pleasures and substances only leads to more brokenness in relationship and more brokenness in us. But the good news is that while we were still sinners, Jesus came. Jesus, who is God, died on the cross. And then three days later, he bodily rose from the dead, paying the price for our sins, conquering sin, conquering death. And if you repent of that sin and believe in Jesus, then God will help you to recover and pursue his design, his fullness of life not just for now, but for eternity. And as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to their stage, I just wanna go ahead and ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're ready to trust Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life. 
Maybe you've been the person who's been living in this place of brokenness so far, so long, and you tried to fill that brokenness, fix that brokenness with so many other things. I'm telling you that there's only one solution for that, and that's to trust Jesus. And that's you today, and you are ready to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life right there where you are. Will you just pray this simple prayer? Again, this isn't some sort of magical prayer that saves you, but it's just communicating what the gospel's been doing in your heart during this service, maybe even for years. Right where you are, will you just pray, God, save me. God, forgive me of my sin. God, today, I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I believe Jesus, I receive him as Lord. And while everyone says their heads down and their eyes closed, if that's you today and you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, would you just raise your hand up and keep it up just for a moment? Raise it up and keep it up for a moment. Raise it up and just keep it up for a moment. All right, you can put your hands down. And then for the rest of you, who have already trusted Christ, I just want to remind you that you still need the power of the gospel this week. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness. You've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And God loves you. Whatever it is you're going through, I'm praying that you will have patience and endurance Whatever it is you're going through, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened by his power. Whatever it is you're going through, I'm praying that you will experience joy. Whatever it is you're going through, I'm praying that you will be reminded of the inheritance that you have because you have trusted Jesus. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you love us. God, even though we don't deserve it, God, even though so many times we try to be the boss, God, we try to make lives all about ourselves. God, thank you for reminding us, God, it ain't about us, but it's about you who's preeminent, the one who surpasses all. God, I pray in every area of our lives, God, we will let you surpass everything. How we really would seek you first. God, keep reminding us every week as we gather together that it's not about us, but it is about you. God, would you let your gospel, this good news that breaks down every barrier, continue to change us. But I pray, God, what you have done for us, we would not just keep for ourselves. We will proclaim you. God, we will proclaim the gospel. In Jesus' name.